We're in Luke chapter 3, and a real focus of this, uh, this early part of uh, Luke 3 is, is repentance. And repentance is absolutely vital. We thought about uh, John the Baptist's general message to the crowds who were pouring out to hear him as he preached in the wilderness in the, uh, the Jordan Valley. And his general message is, is a wonderful, wonderful statement. Verse 3, And he, John the Baptist, went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching, heralding, declaring, shouting out, making known, making plain. What was he saying? A baptism of repentance for, here it is, the remission of sins. Sins can be forgiven. Sins can be forgiven. The greatest burden on your heart, that which troubles your mind, that which imperils you now and would sink you to eternal time in, in hell, sin can be forgiven. Now, the words in the uh, New King James are, are very, very good. That uh, John was preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Now, remission could be misunderstood uh, today. Sadly, if you have a, a cancer and you have a treatment, you are hoping for and praying for a remission and when a cancer goes into remission, that is good news. Indeed, it is good news. Yet, we understand with remission, the cancer can return. We hope it doesn't. There are checks that are, are, are taken up, but it can return. Remission of a cancer is good news, but the cancer could return. But the good news of the gospel is this that this remission is full remission. Gone, 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 gone. Yes, my sins are gone. Total forgiveness of sins. What a wonderful, wonderful message John the Baptist had. What a wonderful message I have this morning. What a wonderful message every Christian has in his heart. We have the answer to the deepest need of every single human being, whatever nation, tribe, or language, whatever age they might be. It's good news for the children in Sunday school this morning. It's good news for the youngest person here, looking around, still some children dotted around. It's good news for the oldest person here. Your sins can be forgiven. Well, that, we've looked at that. Verse 3, his general uh, statement. We looked at the fact last time it was according to uh, prophecy. And now just to paint something of the scene that was happening there in that Jordan Valley, the scene. There's John the Baptist. He's out in the wilderness, a barren place. Uh, there's the river Jordan running through. And there's this man, we know him as John the Baptist. He's uh, dressed in a camel hair sort of thing with a leather uh, belt. When he stops at his lunch, it's, uh, he's got his lunch bag there. It's, uh, it's locusts and it's wild uh, honey. 
Uh, there, there he is, this fiery character. And he's lifting up his voice and he's preaching and he's declaring and he's heralding. And there's, um, there's a wonderful response. What a response. We're told about the crowds. Look at verse 7 here. And he said, John the Baptist, to thee, the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him. What a response from the crowd. Crowds of people are coming. Not just ones and twos. Uh, some of us here, some of you preach on, on Queen Street and the crowds are going by. And maybe you're saying, oh ye that pass by. But here they're not passing by. And he's not in a city centre. He's in the wilderness. He's declaring. But the crowds are coming out from the towns and the villages to him. Well, what a response. And not only are the crowds coming, but they are responding to what he is saying. They're coming to be baptised by him. Then he, John the Baptist, said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him. It's quite a thing to be baptized as a Jew. Baptism, well, they understood, did the Jews, that Gentiles, Gentiles, well, they need to be baptized because the Gentiles, well, they are, they're filthy, they are, they're sinners, and they would look down on the Gentiles. And of course, if a Gentile embraces uh, the Jewish uh, faith, then they need to, uh, to be baptized. They are then proselytes and they enter into the, the, the Jewish faith. But we Jews, surely we have no need to be baptized. We have Abraham as our father. We have the traditions. We are God's people. But no, here they are. They are subjecting themselves willingly to this rite of baptism. What a response from the crowds. But then see this. What a response from the preacher. Crowds of people turning up. Surely John the Baptist is delighted. This would thrill his heart. Uh, for many a preacher to see the crowds coming and responding and saying, can I be uh, baptized? Well, wouldn't that thrill our hearts? Well, yeah, come on in. Uh, sign this card here. We, we'll put you on this preparation course. How wonderful. How marvellous. But look at the response of this particular preacher. Then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptised by him, not very complimentary, is it? Here they are responding to him, willing to yield to baptism. And he looks at them with those fiery, piercing eyes and says, brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? What a response from the preacher. See, this preacher, John the Baptist, understood. Just the physical motions were not enough. He's looking for a motion of the heart, proved by what is happening uh, outwardly. Brood of, of vipers. Brood means offspring, children, uh, children of Vipers, actually, I mean, looking more carefully at the, uh, at the language used, it's more brood of a, a viper, uh, a poisonous snake. 
Uh, you children of the one who brought sin into the world in the first place, that fallen archangel, Lucifer, son of the dawn, who becomes uh, Satan, uh, the opposer. Pride was found in Satan's heart. He wanted to rise his throne above that of God's. He wasn't content to be a guardian cherub. He's cast down to this planet. And he approaches Adam and Eve in the garden. And he wants to spoil God's image in Adam and Eve. Did God really say? Yes, he did say. Oh, God just wants to keep you down. And when she saw the fruit was good for gaining knowledge, she took some, she ate it, she gave some to her husband, and sin comes in. And we're all children of Adam. And we all have this problem of original sin. Children of the snake, Satan, the fallen archangel. Oh, you brood of vipers, you children, you offspring of vipers. Who want you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. So a good response. People are coming out and hearing. People are willing to be baptized. And yet John sees it for what it is. It's a superficial surface response from many of them. It's just another religious rite and following the crowd. So there's something of the scene. Now, I think we have two brief points this morning. The third one we'll have to wait to another uh, occasion. But uh, two brief points. Since true repentance is absolutely vital, first of all, what is it? And then secondly, how will I know that it's happened to me? So the first thing, what is true repentance because without true repentance there is no forgiveness of sins john is preaching a baptism of repentance for this glorious glorious prize forgiveness of sins peace with god i remember my conversion still 46 years ago seems like yesterday i can picture the scene I was sitting downstairs. There wasn't an upstairs. It was a big, big area, a large platform. It was, in actual fact, dare I say, a charismatic church. But I, I heard the gospel there, and the, the band was playing. And then the preacher comes to preach, and he preaches about Jesus Christ. And I suddenly see it all. I can picture it now. I'm sat there between my cousins. I've been arguing with them. Holy God, sinful me, Jesus Christ the bridge. He lived for me, he died for me, he rose again. Born into my heart, repentance, faith. And to know, listen, this is what I understood. What a relief. Remember that time? What a relief. Sins forgiven, past sins all gone, present sins dealt with. Future sins. I was at the age of 19. Here I am, 65. Still a sinner, but a saved sinner. You know, something wonderful happened on that day in August 1976. All my sin was forgiven. All my sin was forgiven. 
It came as I repented towards God and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, what is repentance? Now, the illustration that uh, John is inspired to use is here in verse 9 and part of verse 8. Verse 8 there, Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. Verse 9, Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. John is using the illustration of a tree. The picture of the tree. Here it is, its trunk, the branches, and the leaves. You see those. And then on the tree is produced fruit. It depends on the type of the tree as to what fruit it's going to produce. Uh, but beneath the ground are the the roots. Now the roots of a tree are absolutely vital. Been some storms around, and a tree without good solid roots. So those in Mid Wales last week, John and I went on a walk through a forest, and some of the trees have been laid over, and you could see quite shallow roots, a big pad, but quite shallow roots. Roots are vital. Bad roots mean that the tree is not soaking up the goodness and the nutrients and the moisture which goes up through the trunk into the branches, out onto the leaves. Then the sun is shining on the leaves and all sorts of wonderful chemical processes take place. And then the, the, the little buds appear, uh, flowers appear, and then the, 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 the fruits So in our garden. Uh, at home at the moment, we've got, uh, we've got two apple trees one is, is a bad apple tree. And I was saying to Jill a few weeks ago, you ought to cut that one down. Give it, give it a chance. No, I'll, I'll work on it. Look, it's in the shade of that bigger. You need to trim that tree back so it can get some more light. No, I said, look, and I could shake it. No, its roots are, are bad. Jill, it's going to have to go. She's shaking her head. But I think the roots are bad. Another one is in the open there. It's a big solid one. Now this one, I think the root, it's not producing anything. No, it, I know it's an apple tree. It's saying to me, I'm an apple tree. No apples. There'll be no flowers, no buds. It's going to produce no apples again. Same as last year and the year before. But the other one, full, it was full of blossom, apple blossom and... Uh, and then the little, little fruits are arriving uh, now. It's wonderful, wonderful to see. The problem with the bad apple tree, it's got bad roots, and there's actually not bad fruit, there's, there's no fruit. But if the fruits was, was there, but it was bad, it's telling me there's something wrong with the roots. And that's the illustration that's being used here. You're coming asking for a baptism, because you've repented. I see no evidence, says John the Baptist, of any repentance. Produce fruit. Give evidence. It's easy to say, I'm a Christian. Easy to say, I've always gone to church, I've always believed. What sort of fruit are we producing and true belief and true repentance begins in the very depths of our being. It starts 
started for me. Started everybody with a story of grace, how they came to know sins forgiven. Starts in the very midst of our being, the depths of what you are, your soul. And true repentance begins in the heart and in the mind. It affects the will. And I've said this before, and you're familiar with it, I'm sure anyway, the Greek word metanoia, repentance, metanoia. Think again, think again, another thinking. A wonderful verse in Proverbs 23 and verse 7. As a man thinks, so is he. We're all philosophers. We have a philosophy on on life, and we think about life, the universe, and, and everything. And what, what, do we, what conclusion do we, do we come to? Some who are atheistic, as I would have said I was at the age of 19, say, well, there, there is no God. It's all answered by science, Big Bang and evolution. There is no God. Now, if you think that, then you will live a life accordingly. And you'll think like this, I don't know how long I've got here on planet Earth, and uh, when I'm dead, I'm dead. So I ought to get all the pleasure I can while I can, eat, drink, and be merry. It's nothing modern. People today think they're very up-to-date with things. But this philosophy, eat, drink, and be merry, is very, very old. It's as old as mankind. It's Epicurean, uh, the Greek philosopher Epicurus. And he, he, uh, he outlined that philosophy. When you're dead, you're dead. Oh, he said, don't, don't fear death. Because when you're alive, death is not there. And when you are dead, you are not there. See the logic behind it. The Greeks were very logical. Don't fear death. Because when you're alive, death is not there. When you're dead, you are not there. Now, if that were true, it's very, very good, but it's not true. When you die to this world, you're still very much there. And sin is the real issue. But if you believe that, then you will live for yourself and your immediate circle, getting what pleasure you can. Others are practical atheists. They say, well, I believe in God, and I go to church, and uh, yeah, I, I believe the gospel. I believe about Jesus Christ who came and lived and died and rose again. But then in their actions, they're still living very much for themselves. Still living as if there was no God. And so we call these people practical atheists, even though maybe they would make a, 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 a vocal declaration they believe. As John the Baptist would say, well, you need to produce fruit that backs up what you're saying. Where is the fruit? As a man thinks, so is he. Then there are others who might think in this way. Well, there is a God, and I know I have to meet him one day as my judge, so I need to impress him. And so in my life, I will do my duty. I'll go to church. I can go twice on a Sunday. I'll make the midweek meeting. I'll serve in the Sunday school. I'll do the teas and the coffees. I'll shake hands on the door. I'll preach in the pulpit. And uh, I will be a deacon. I'll, I'll be an elder. I'll go out on the streets. I'll invite people in. But unless the root is right, unless you really have known sins forgiven and peace with God, it produces bad fruit. 
But even from someone who professes all those things, yes, yes, unless there is a reality as opposed to religion, what it produces is this. Arrogance. Pride. Critical spirits. Argumentative nature. Little things become big things. And the big thing they don't even see at all. What's the problem? The roots. There was no true belief and true repentance. So we need to think again. Though produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So have another think. Metanoia. And, and get it clear. Now it's the Holy Spirit who enlightens you. Um, so I need to wait until the Holy Spirit enlightens me then. Well, yes and no. Yes and, and no. You need to do all you can to put yourself in the way of these things. Jesus urges people to come. Enter through the narrow gate. Enter, urging people, lifting up his voice to the crowds. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Ask, seek, and knock. Oh, I, I tried to become a Christian many years ago. Oh, listen now. Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking because this is too important to miss. A man said to Jesus on one occasion, Lord, are there few who will be saved? He asked a theological question. In answer to him, Jesus says, listen to this now. He doesn't answer the question, but he says this, strive to enter through the narrow gate. For a time is coming when many will try, but will not be able to do. What's he saying to the man? Whether there are few or many, you make sure you're in. And strive, strive, make every effort. So think again, think again. As a man thinks, so is he. Uh, and know these great truths. God, holy, me, sinful, Jesus Christ, inevitably, the only way. The hymn we sang here outlines something of the, the problem we have. Religion will never get us to God. Eternal light, this is describing God. Eternal light, no beginning, no end. Dwelling in depths of burning light. Pure, holy, a consuming fire. Eternal light. How pure the soul must be when placed within thy searching sight. It shrinks not, but with calm delight can live and look on thee. There are some who can do this, look on God. The the angels, the archangels, the cherubim, the spirits that surround thy throne may bear the burning bliss, but that is surely theirs alone, for since they have never, never known a fallen world like this. You see, you and I can think, well, I, I, do, do you think I'm a good person? Oh, thank you. Vote of confidence. Dave, am I a good person? Good, that's a better answer, but not too sure. If you knew my heart, you wouldn't have me preaching here. 
elders, you wouldn't have me in the pulpit. There's only me and God know my heart. Not even my wife really knows me. But Jesus does, and the amazing thing is he still accepts me, still loves me. And we can think, I'm not so bad. And we compare ourselves to each other. My friends, you need to compare yourself to the ineffable one, the uncreated beam, the one who dwells in depths of burning light, who is a real being. Three persons, one God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the splendor and the glory of the King. That's who we compare ourselves to. How can I appear before Him and be safe? I can get away with it with you. No, not with Him. Not with Him. Oh, how shall I, says Binny, whose native sphere is dark, whose mind is dim, before the ineffable appear, or on my naked spirit bear the uncreated beam? There's the problem. Here's the answer. There is a way for man to rise to that sublime abode. An offering and a sacrifice, a Holy Spirit's energies, an advocate with God. It's very poetic. What does it mean? Jesus Christ has made the way to heaven. He's the one who deals with sin. He's the one who deals with your biggest problem. Why ever would God the Son come to this planet? It must be very, very important. You know, God can do many things. He can do all things. Can God forgive sin? Apart from Calvary, no. Calvary had to happen. Planned in eternity past, before the foundation of the world, prophesied in the Old Testament, it happens around 29 AD. Where God the Son has become a man without ceasing to be God. He's one person, two natures now, the God-man, who went around doing good. He lived a perfect life. He allows himself to be arrested, beaten, spat upon, flogged, then nailed to a Roman cross and hoisted up between heaven and earth. And there he is outside the city wall. And why is he there? He's there on my behalf. Is he there on your behalf? I remember a young man coming to faith and he, he said this, I came to understand Jesus didn't only die for sinners, but he died for me. And that's the conclusion you need to come to. That my sin was laid on his shoulders. All my, iniqu all my iniquity on him was laid. I'm the wretch. He dies as if he were the wretch. The wrath of God is poured out on... His what, what love is this? Oh, Lord, what love is this that pays so dearly? Amazing love. Oh, what sacrifice. The Son of God dies for me. My debt he pays. And my death he dies. That I might live. An offering was made. 2,000 years ago, a sacrifice. A Holy Spirit's energies rose him from uh, the dead. I now have an advocate with God. 
Well, the Holy Spirit pleads within me and uh, Jesus Christ pleads at the right hand of the majesty on high. Oh, there is a way. It's the only way. There's the problem, sin. Here's the answer, Jesus Christ. And when I see it, have a think again. Have you seen it yet? Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing flood? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Have you seen that Jesus Christ not only died for sinners, that makes you religion or you've got to, uh, Christian religiosity, but can you also say, He died for me? It is enough that Jesus died and that He died for, for me. It becomes personal. I'm the sinner. I'm the sinner. Here's repentance, metanoia, thinking again, turning from self, turning to God. Now, it's married to faith. You cannot separate repentance and faith. If I'm repenting, it's because I believe. If I believe, I definitely will repent. They are uh, inseparable twins. You can't have one without the other. Married None can separate them. If I say I have faith, it's produce, it produces repentance. If I have repentance, it produces faith. The two go together. I remember preaching in Bournemouth a number of years ago. Maybe it's 20 years ago. And a lady came to me after the service, really quite upset with me. She said, you didn't preach repentance. I thought, didn't I? Didn't I? Now, as a preacher, I don't have a checklist. Uh, deity of Christ, uh, Trinity, uh, holiness of God, check, 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 uh, faith, uh, vicarious sacrifice, tick, tick, tick. And then I finished, oh, there's a little box I, I didn't cover. Sorry, let's halt the hymn. Let me just mention this night. I don't have a, a, a checklist like that. But generally throughout the preaching span, you will cover all these these areas, but I was able to say to the lady, but I did preach faith. Yeah, we didn't preach repentance. Then I had to say, well, if I preach faith well, repentance is obviously implied. If on the converse, I just preach on repentance, well, why would I repent? Because you're a sinner and Jesus lived and died and rose again and you turn to Him. The two are inseparable. Oh, Repentance is a fruit that comes from a good root. The first real fruit is repentance towards God. Turning from, turning to. Now look, time is whizzed on. I want to cover this. I must cover this. I can do it fairly briefly. But it's important. What does repentance produce? What does it look like? How do I know? Because it's so vital that I really have repented. How will others know? How did John the Baptist know? What was it he saw or didn't see that caused him to say brood of snakes, vipers? In Acts chapter 11 and verse 23, we, we have this wonderful verse that Paul and Barnabas go down to and, and they, they find believers and they find evidence of the grace of God. They saw evidence of the grace of God. So I think true repentance gives obvious uh, evidence. What, what does it look like? What is the fruit we would expect of true belief and true repentance. Now, I want to hit two things in particular, and then we'll come to a close this morning. I think the most fundamental, most beautiful, most wonderful fruit 
And it's something that's hard to describe, but you know it when you see it, and clearly John the Baptist didn't see it, but I will look for this. Test my own heart, test your heart. The most obvious fruit of true repentance is it produces in the one who has repented because of what the gospel is all about. I'm a miserable, hell-deserving, sinful wretch, but I receive forgiveness, peace with this one who is ineffable, sublime. It's got to produce humility. It's got to produce humility. The Christian man is a humble man. The Christian woman is a humble woman. The Christian young person is a humble young person. The Christian child is a humble child. Now, they are the imperfection, of course. Oh, but it's got to be there. Things are different now. Some things happened to me since I gave my heart to Jesus. Humility. I think it's the hallmark. Now, how do you describe it? How, if you had to write an essay on humility, what would you write? Well, what is this humility? I'm telling you, it's the very hallmark of genuine repentance and true Christianity. It's God's stamp. I mean, I've got a wedding ring here. Yeah, there is a hallmark on there. Genuine, genuine. Stamp on my life, your life. Looking for humility. Humility. And I tell you, the snake can't mimic this. He'd never want to. He remains proud and arrogant and the adversary. And so one of his representatives goes into the temple to pray, God, I thank you. I'm not like other men. I fast, I pray, I give. I'm not like this tax collector. But here's the humility. He's at the back. He won't even lift up his eyes, but beats his chest. God have mercy on me a sinner, always keeping in mind what God has done for me, what I've come from, what I've been brought to, keeps me humble. The fruit, the fruit I'm looking for, true repentance brings true fruit. That little passage in Galatians, we are moving towards a conclusion. The plane is circling, the undercarriage is down. Did you hear the noise there? It's coming down. Now, the works of the flesh. Interesting here. Have you ever noticed this? Galatians 5.19, the works of the flesh. And then in verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit. See, you and I as unconverted people can do works. It's what we do. And the works of the flesh are evident. They are, here's the tree, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. But the fruit, not works now, fruit, what God produces in me. And always at the head of the list is love. Love, humility, love. Humility, the hallmark. That's hard to describe. Love, a bit easier now. It's demonstrated by the things that we, we do. And it's followed by love, joy, peace, 
long, long suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Oh, what does repentance look like? Humility. Love. Love. A new commandment I give you, says Jesus, that you love one another. He's talking to his disciples, talking to you and me here this morning. You love one another. How should I do that, Lord? In the same way I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now listen to this. By this will all men know, those who come in, that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What a wonderful thing. Anybody new here this morning? Are you struck by the humility and the love that settled here? Oh, have you repented yet? This is what repentance is. Metanoia. Think again in the light of the gospel. I'm a hell-deserving sinner. Jesus is my only hope. None but Jesus can do helpless sinners good. Go to him now. Venture on him. Venture holy. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you done that this morning? If you've done that this morning, do, do let me know. Let somebody know. If you want to be saved this morning, are, are you saved this morning? And in a congregation like this, there must be people here. Thank God that you are here. Are you saved? If not, why not? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want some help with that, come and ask. Come, don't go home without Him. Know what it is to have peace with God and sins forgiven and the certainty of heaven to come. Well, there's so much more I could have said and we'll catch up next time, but uh, let's leave it there for the time being. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this all too brief time in your wonderful word on this vital subject of true repentance. Pray, Lord, we'd examine ourselves. Has it been found in our hearts? Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we'll sing a final hymn. It's from the, the supplements. I hear the Saviour say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thy all in all. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow.
Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forever. Amen.